and welcome to another edition of the Formula One Fans UK podcast. I'm Reese, and I'm joined today by Dan and Tim. We're back. We're here hoping to fill a blank space in your F1 scheduling. Uh, there might be a bit of rust, but we hope to shake it off before too long. I, I really hope that wasn't a Taylor Swift reference, because if that's where we're starting, mate, like I don't feel like it gets any better. Um, I oh, so. did, you, did you watch the race today? Um, I think I think we I think anything is better. True. <laughs> that's very true yeah and uh the, the, the truth is dan that if you didn't expect uh expect me to make these references you don't know me that well because you really should have said that you knew i was trouble when i walked in oh damn bro no phenomenal <laughs> I, i'm, I'm no. shipping it by the way no. i just want to say that i'm probably shipping it <laughs> i feel it's important that we say right now that at least two of the admin team are very very much behind this rumored relationship uh tim and i are admittedly massive swifties so we have no shame in saying that it's like right. two of my favorite people in the world coming together go on right Fernando. right, right. Do, how are you spelling coming right. there tim no no comment <laughs> i never knew right i know this was me being naive but i never knew that groups of supporters for bands and artists and stuff were called like little names like i i never u- knew that the taylor swift fans were swifties and i never knew that the little mix fans were little mixers and like i've all these little things and i'm like it's re- it's really thrown me off but like i'm not i'm not i'm not safe with it what are you on about did you not know there's loads of people i mean especially me and tim were massive dj heathies see that i can get behind but this the fact that everybody's got like a little like a little name like is there one for the harry styles fans probably but um we'll, we'll move on uh like i said we're behind this and if we do bring up taylor swift again don't blame me <laughs> all right all right i think we are actually done with the puns now uh let's get into the race uh tim and i watched the race together today uh it's fair to say we had a we had a few laughs watching it but the on-track action probably left quite a lot to be desired dan as a as a spectator what did you make of it uh, the safety car was nice. Other than that, it's a Red Bull checkout 18 um, second gap deal again. The same as, you know, we've had every other week since. Um, one thing I will say is I respect Red Bull for not making the switch, which I really thought they were going to do. And then in the same breath, Christian Horner is still a dickhead for basically saying, uh, you know, we kind of just give Checo this one. Sorry about that, Max. Like, there was just there was no need for it, was there really? No, I I get trying to keep your drivers happy, but I felt the comment he made saying that Checo was lucky today with a safety car was not justified. When Max was in front, Checo was closing and closed that gap down to half a second. Max was struggling with his tyres. The safety car might have come out, but Max Verstappen had to pit. Because Max Verstappen could not look after his tyres today. Checo could. And when Checo got the jump, it made a huge, huge difference. Like, granted, he got ahead. Leclerc was in between them, but Max cleared Leclerc nice and quick. And straight away, you know, he's he's behind Perez, but he couldn't he couldn't touch him. And I've got to say, the driving from both Red Bull drivers today, they were on the limit. It was brilliant to watch the skill that was involved today from those two i don't really have much to add to that wasn't it with red bull domination if we've seen so far this season um 
Perez is the king of the streets, isn't he? It's just fantastic. Something comes alive in him when he knows that there's a wall that's a few centimetres away or a few millimetres away in the case of today. And as Reece said, um, the pair of them were so on the limit every lap. And it's actually a credit to Checo that he his raw pace today was what won him that race. Yes, yes people will say the safety car, but as Reece said, he was catching him anyway. And I think Checo wins that race today if, if Red Bull allow him to on pace, regardless of the safety car. That is very fair, because he had, like, tremendous pace. And to be fair, at one point, I did think the Ferrari had some pace as well. But then, you know, just gone. That's it. Game over. We've mentioned the safety car, so we might as well discuss the driver who bought it out. Nick DeVries is having a horrible, horrible start to life in his first full season of Formula One. Do you think with... The performance of Liam Lawson in Super Formula, Tim, do you feel like it could be only a matter of time before De Vries is replacing Alpha Tauri if he doesn't improve quickly? I really, really, I don't think that they will jump to replace him very quickly. Um, I think he's he's been, what was he, the Formula E World Champion, was it two years ago he was the Formula E World Champion? Or was it last season? Not sure, only follow proper sports. Yeah, um, obviously it's showing the difference between a Formula E world champion and a average F1 driver with Yuki Tsunoda, um, who, by the way, if, if you're going on a teammate comparison, De Vries is so far behind Tsunoda. That is the worrying thing. And you don't know with that car, because it's been, it was at the testing before the season, it was billed as a back-of-the-grid car, and it was down on the timesheets, it was down on the laps completed. But Sonoda seems to have overcome that. He's now got points in the last two races. Um, but the Vries has just been nowhere. Yes, he was booted off by Logan Sargent in the last race, but that he was still never going to be anywhere near the points, even with those last two restarts. I don't, I don't think they'll make a jump quickly because obviously he does have to adjust to Formula One. He's never done a Formula One season before. Um, I don't care what people say about Formula E. It's a different level. It is a massive step up to go from Formula E to Formula One. The physicality that you need to complete the races, the quickness of your processing of mind, as well as your driving talent and style, it is a whole different level from anything that's in Formula E. And he does need time to adjust. But if we maybe if we get to midway through the European season, even after the summer break, I could definitely see them saying, you're not going to see out the whole season with us, even if they brought in Lawson for just two or three races at the end of the year. After the Super Formula season ends. That could be that could be it, after the, after the Super Formula season ends. Well, I think you made a good point about not knowing where the team is exactly with the performance of Sonoda being so different from the performance of De Vries. But I think if you look at the teams this season, with, that, with the exception of Alfa Romeo, who looked to be probably the weakest car you know, on average on the grid, looking at both their drivers' performances and their reliability issues. If you look at Sonoda and you look at Alex Albon, you'd think that both the Alpha Tauri and the Williams are both cars that are on the cusp of getting points in every race. But with Logan Sargent, it's a very developmental thing, and I can understand why Williams are giving him time. He didn't have a great weekend, but, you know, Nick DeVries is he's not a young rookie. He's, what, 26, 27 years old? That's, you know, that's not, that was young 20 years ago in Formula One. Nowadays, that's, you know, you're you're getting up there. You're getting on a bit. Yeah, and I think with, you, you say about getting on a bit, obviously 
Yuki is still a few years younger than De Vries, but he is now a few years older than when he first joined. And regardless of if he's out driving the car or driving the car to what it should be driven, you can see that I think this year he's taken a step up in his maturity. He's not locking the brakes and going into the wall because we, we said it today when De Vries crashed, our initial thought was, oh, Yuki's locked up again as he's done in previous years at Baku. But it wasn't him today. It was the teammate. And you look at the raw speed that he showed in the Friday qualifying as well. And then he was uh, unlucky with the sprint qualifying with the way that the with the sprint shootout with the way that the laps were switched. Uh, sorry, with the way, with the timing of the flags and everything. But yeah, it's just another... Yuki's taken the step up to be where he should be as a driver. And I think that the raw speed is probably bringing out a bit more in that car than maybe it should be but it's not going to be far off and the three as a driver who in actual age is older than Yuki is just that step behind now and it really does show well I think that's it I mean Yuki had a couple of scrapes this weekend one in practice which wasn't ideal he did damage the floor in practice but he got you know right back out there he put some solid laps on the board still um and then he had his incident in the sprint uh sprint race yesterday not his fault you know he was involved like yeah it looks bizarre when you first saw it thinking oh he's hit the wall has he hit the wall there what's happened why's he just stood into it when you actually see his own teammate has pinched him into the wall caused damage to the front wing which has caused the understeer you know it's it's real questionable can you afford to keep someone in the car who's causing these issues it's exactly that it's the difference between winning a scale electrics championship and going into a real a real race car but <laughs> that's amazing i love that but, comparison but i think you need to give him the whole year don't sign somebody don't give somebody the chance if you're not prepared to give them the whole season okay like okay you need to hold your hands up and say okay it probably wasn't the best decision but he needs a whole season now when it comes to yuki I'm with you guys. I think he's definitely dialed it in. He's definitely got used to driving that car and used to what you know, the car can do, his abilities and all that sort of stuff. But I also think with the help of having some less experienced people on the grid, on the lower part of the grid, that's given him a good a good five five spaces, you know, places that he can make an improvement. But, you know, when you've got Yuki sitting in, in the top 10 in 10th, and you've got another DNF and 20th place with your second driver, you know, you, you are going to be looking potentially at replacements if he doesn't pick it up, you know, for next season, surely. Well, there was a lot of talk about this De Vries hire just being a stopgap so they could give Liam Lawson a season in Super Formula to develop as a driver. Now, if De Vries is not performing and that Super Formula Championship finishes before the Formula One Championship... With a super license points maybe already being there for Lawson, why not get him into a Formula One car? Give him two races or three races or however long it might be at the end of the season to, you know, you know, wet his feet in the series. Because we saw De Vries come in and have one good race and we all thought he's the next best thing. But his comparison was Nicholas Latifi on a circuit which really suited the William strengths last year. If you had Albon and De Vries in that car last season I reckon you would have had double points in the Williams but you know it's just I, I, 
my patience with four races in the season is really starting to run out with the race. It's I, I'm seeing his involvement in the sport as making up the numbers rather than being there to compete, which is a shame because I was really excited for his hiring at first. But I'm just start, I, now I'm starting to view him like the way I view Rory Masani in Formula Two. He's just there to make up the numbers. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, should we move on to a team who didn't just make up the numbers in terms of the results this weekend, which is Ferrari, who have brought themselves back after two horrendous weekends into the higher up of the points? Yeah, let's talk about uh, Ferrari, Tim. Yeah, pod- podium for Charles Leclerc after quite a horrid, horrible start to the season. That must be a massive relief for him. Yeah, but it's no matter how good Ferrari do, you know, there's always a Fernando Alonso between them. Like they just can't, they just can't seem to get rid of the Fernando. He's just there. He he's just it's gone past the point of him just being a person. He just exists now. He's just constantly there, and he's I don't think you're ever gonna get rid of him. Ferrari and Fernando, it's a weird one. He's always in the middle of them now. For years he was their um he was their you know their poster boy. He was the one they wanted there, and if he was driving like that. For Ferrari these days, I think if he was in a Ferrari now, I think he'd be getting more out of that car than both Carlos and Charles. But now he's in between and really he's their anti-hero. It's a real... <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Another <laughs> one. Another one. Another one. No, but seriously, oh, no. I, I think if you put Fernando in the Ferrari right now, you'd be having better results than what both drivers are currently delivering for them. Mate, don't tell do me. You, do you time. think after? Do you think after that safety car restart, if Fernando was in Charles's Ferrari, Fernando would have finished ahead of Verstappen? I don't think that was ever possible with the DRS situation. Um, but I feel that Fernando would have had a better chance of holding onto the back of Leclerc. Sorry, oh, holding mean- onto the back of Perez and keeping DRS for himself, mm. which was the difference in when Verstappen could actually get past. Leclerc after the safety car restart was the DRS. Yeah, and obviously um, in the sprint race the day before with uh, Leclerc, um, Verstappen had a hole gouged out the side of his side pod, didn't he, for most of that race. So um, that's why Verstappen didn't get past in, during the sprint race yesterday. You say hole. All that really exposed to me was loads of cutlery in the side pod. Have I just missed another Taylor Swift reference? No, cutlery in the side <laughs> no. pod is a catering reference, Tim. Yes, Tim, uh, come along. The chef isn't here. Well, you're making cutlery references to an audience. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan was a chef too. No, he wasn't now he's just a DJ. Yeah, now he's just a DJ. What? A, sorry, so it feels like a real derogatory comment. He's just a DJ now. God, doesn't do two jobs anymore. How lazy. Just edits this podcast full time. <laughs> literally, literally that. I get paid to play music and get drunk for free. Mate, I, I live such a tough life. Do you put the uh, alcohol on expenses? <laughs> no, I just don't pay for it. Yeah, they just give it to him. On the they they, they just, they just give it to me. They're okay, because like, if there's alcohol on expenses, like? Tim and I might need to have a word. <laughs> no, I, I get, I, they, just, they just give it to me. And then, and then they wonder, they're like, are you drunk? Yes, motherfucker, I'm drunk. Did you see what you give me? What, what did you expect was going to happen with a bottle of vodka? Well, I think they were hoping you built up a tolerance by now. <laughs> you know, you know, Kimi Raikkonen, are you? Give Kimi a whole bottle of, of vodka. He probably set the fastest lap in an Alfa Romeo. 
could you imagine? Uh, mate, after Tim deals with his his little segment, I think because we're building this new uh, uh, underground go-karting Spurs saviour thing. Um, There's no we, such thing as a Spurs saviour. We should do <laughs> drunk F1 driver go-karting. Could you imagine? That'd be hilarious. Bro. I think drink driving the... is probably a bad a bad advertisement. Or, or we um, could go to the um, F1 simulator place in central London that's just opened, where you have a bar next to F1 simulators and you can book them out and do proper races and stuff. No, we need danger, Tim. Death. <laughs> you need danger. Have you ever raced online with Tim? Yeah, he's never been in a Gran Turismo room with me. <laughs> he doesn't have brakes. He just uses yours instead. I have brakes. You ran into the back of me when I braked. You mean when you pulled out? We're not bringing this up again. When you pulled up in front, pulled out in front of me, and I had nowhere to go. Shall we? Shall we get back but, to? Don't worry. Back to don't me? worry. I'll just pull that segment out of what, one of ten podcasts that we've done, and I'll <laughs> I'll just put I'll put it in so we can hear the story again and we can reminisce about Ooh, Tim uh, shit driving. It's not my fault. Tim's a shit driver. Okay. I don't right. intend to keep bringing this up. In fact, this uh, time I didn't bring it up. You, he brought you, it up. You, you can go and drown your Corsa in a puddle. And you can go. Tra- <laughs> you can go crash your Fiesta into a sign at two miles an hour. All right, all right. Let's stop. Let's stop. Let's bring bring us back to Formula One. Um, I've got a live studio audience here in my office with, with my mate sat on the sofa. He's laughing at that. Callum <laughs> uh, can't hear what I'm saying. That's the sad thing. <laughs> you would have lost either way. Uh, um, should we go back to the sprint race? Let's go back to the sprint race. Well, we were talking about um, Ferrari and Alfa Tauri and all that. And I mean, it's, it was a really important weekend for Ferrari to show they still have pace in the car, even if it is just one lap, because it's been a turbulent few weeks in the break. Franz Tost, of course, stepping down from Alfa Tauri, and he's being replaced by Ferrari's Laurent Meeks or Meckies. Is it Meeks or Meckies? Meckies. Is it Meckies? Yes. Yeah, Laurent Meckies. I don't know. It it could be me because it's a French pronunciation, so it's probably wrong. It's a loss for Ferrari, losing someone on the technical side like that. They haven't replaced Bonotto, who, despite being an absolute meme of a team principal, he did know the technical side of the the sport. And so I I feel it was really important that they got the pole position today. They had a strong result in the sprint race and in the race today. Grant, there was Fernando Alonso between them in the race. Considering Sainz had a nightmare of a practice session, he couldn't set the car up. He was stuck in Park Ferme all weekend. That car's obviously got some raw speed to it now. That is one of my only issues with this sprint race format shit, is as, as soon as you've done, effectively, the first practice, right? That's it, isn't it? Like, you're in Park Ferme, aren't you? That is is correct. Well, you're in Park Ferme as of the start of qualifying. When you roll onto the track at the start of qualifying, Mm. you're Park Ferme. So this is something that um, Carlos Sainz actually brought up um, after the um, initial qualifying session. And he said that due to the lack of track time, especially as in the one practice session we did have, there was a red flag for old Nick Debris. Um, that and the clock kept going down in that one hour, so they had what 40 45 minutes realistically of actual track time. Um, was it to race? It was, I thought it was, um, I thought it was Sonoda with the rear wheel. No, that was at the start of the sprint race itself, wasn't it? No, he yeah, hit the barrier, was, in, he hit the, the barrier in practice as well. Oh, okay. 
Well, um, yeah, so um, anyway, whoever it was, um, the actual lack of track time, Carlos Sainz came out and he said, after the, after the actual qualifying for the Grand Prix, he said, my whole weekend is now stuffed because I only got a few laps in, in the running that we did get in the practice session and I didn't find a setup that worked for me. We, we went out on the same setup thinking it would work. It's worked for Charles, but not for me. And I haven't had any chance to amend my setup in any of the runs since. And I am now stuck like that for the entire weekend, which if, if the FIA want the sprint qualifying and the sprint race to be a separate thing to the Grand Prix, I think you should be allowed to adjust your setups between that or I don't know what the reordering of the format would be to it's, allow for that with the current rules it's tricky because I think we can all agree that we prefer this format in principle FP2 in Park Ferme is completely pointless it's like the old warm-up uh, warm-up session that you used to have before the race many many years ago like we're looking 20 years ago now we've got a session on a Saturday morning that has some actual meaning and I mean from what you said to me Tim I mean I didn't see it live I saw the highlights I thought the highlights were fantastic but you said that it was really a really good session to watch. And I'm all for having this, but I feel that there needs to be some sort of tweak in the sprint uh, weekend format with practice. Whether you go, I think you look at it one of two ways. One, you have an hour and a half window where you pause the clock on red flags or two, you extend practice to two hours. Is it possible or is it? Do you think it's? Do you not think it's possible to have a practice to so a second practice hour, adapting your car for the main Grand Prix in amongst the sprint, the sprint qualifying and the sprint race on the Saturday? Is that no? I, I don't I feel... know how that would work from a setup standpoint, from a chassis standpoint, from a park Ferme rule standpoint. Is, is there any? Because the problem I see with it is is that you can't you can't amend your car for a whole two days of running after the Friday. I think one of the beautiful things about Park Ferme is that you go into qualifying and you have to then use that setup in the race. I think if you allowed a to un, unlock Park Ferme after qualifying, have a practice session and get another setup between qualifying and sprint qualifying, you're just going to have teams who are going to manipulate that and having set their cars up for qualifying they're then going to set their cars up for the race and just use that setup for sprint qualifying and that's why to me that didn't work also i think with the time on track when you look at you've got to get formula one uh, formula two formula three and of course f1 academy coming next season to be a support race you just don't have the track time in a lot of circuits like azerbaijan where the time difference is a factor we're starting at midday for the race to allow it to finish within good daylight hours if there's any incidents and red flags which we've come to expect in Baku qualifying we saw at the end of regular qualifying on Friday the light was an issue at the end of the session just having a couple of red flags and delaying it slightly the sun was in the driver's eyes so they crested the hill at the top of the castle you can't do that on this sort of track I think maybe one way you look at it with Baku it's a street circuit do you illuminate it? Do you almost make it a twilight race? Because I think it would be fantastic under the lights. I mean, that castle section lit up would be phen- would be phenomenal. But I don't see what more you can do to create, generate an extra session in the weekend. Also, teams would immediately be against it because of the cost of running these cars for a few more miles. Pirelli would need to generate extra tyres for it as well. It, it, 
isn't financially viable in a cost cap situation. I think it's the bottom line of this whole thing. I would argue that if you had a so on a normal race weekend, you get three practice sessions and a Grand Prix. If you're having two practice sessions, two qualifying sessions and two sprint races, you're only adding one more session to the weekend. But you're not having two sprint races. You're having a full blown Grand Prix. And that mm. does take up all of Sunday. And you wouldn't. Yeah. The problem is, whilst we see like these monsoon races and things like that, where you get qualifying before, viewing numbers dwindle in the qualifying before, there's no escaping that because not as many people will see it. It's not in the peak time of, of viewing. Friday art, like Friday evening for the European races, you can still see the ra- you can still see it. But yeah, it's not it's not possible to really figure that extra session in. I think we've just the, the, the just the time constraints on you know the world <laughs> yeah I, I i i can see the point there i i think we are a lot closer with this format to if we want to introduce sprint races to being the right thing and to being what we want to happen um it maybe just need to rejig maybe if it is in the practice time on the friday just extend it if we can extend it by half an hour or make it red flags don't count down then that would be a suitable adjustment but wouldn't one fix for this be to only have sprint races on weekends where there are less support races to allow you to have say a two-hour practice session like you said without um where red flags don't affect it or something like that and then go to park fair may then do all your qualifying and stuff after that because if you can drop a support race because obviously you know f2 and f3 aren't at every single race if you can drop one of those on a weekend and move it to like another day or like reshift their calendar would that not give you the the time that you'd need to be able to to support the your vision of a sprint race i think that's definitely a possible switch um i don't think we're not high up enough to know the logistics of an f2 and an f3 season behind the scenes and the money and the how the contracts work i would guess for what what type what venue gets what what support races it's uh that's something for people much higher up than us um in terms of the actual sprint qualifying format the one set of tires per session um medium medium soft shorter running time i i found it fascinating i thought it was it was really interesting to see on the medium tires how it was lap two or lap three of a warm-up session that would really give you that fast time but you had to weigh up whether or not that fast time would allow you um enough time to have two goes at that or one go at that and then especially the final session then maybe the final session was only eight minutes you had to have a new set of soft tires that plays into your having done one qualifying session already on that weekend that really plays into your strategy of how you view your qualifying for the race so you have to think about making sure you leave a a new soft set of tires which actually cost Lando in Q3 in the sprint qualifying I just found that both from a just both from a strategical standpoint and from an entertainment standpoint, I thought that was so much better than having a second practice session under Park Ferme. I agree as well. I really like the whole sprint format, the restrictions on tyres, the strategic factor it brings into it with regular qualifying, how Lander couldn't go again. One small change I would make to the sprint qualifying format is I feel like to really just run that extra risk of mixing things up 
You go six cars eliminated in Q1, six cars eliminated in Q2, and then eight cars in the shootout. I just feel like that would just add that little extra dynamic without being too artificial that would really make this sprint weekend work. Also, Dan, I have to agree 100%. I have to agree 100% with you. I feel that sprint races need to be factored into the weekends where there is limited track action from other series because it's all been bought in for adding entertainment value and value for money. If you're at the track or if you're a diehard motorsport fan, you're watching Formula 2 on the regular, you're watching Formula 3 on the regular, on the regular if you're even more diehard. And I think that makes a huge difference. And I think you're right. Give the race weekends with less track action, make those the sprint weekends. Do that at Bahrain at the start of the season where, it, well, you might say, I don't want to start start season with sprint weekend. If you've only got one support series, throw it in there if you're going to canada or something where it's a bit more logistical logistically difficult to get support races make it a sprint race we've seen the format works i thought the drivers were much more aggressive in the sprint race in comparison to what they have been in the past and to understand i don't say this often credit where credit's due it's a really really good idea um so yeah i i would agree um with that um i do also think that with the sprint races, especially in somewhere like Baku. And I was actually surprised about how the sprint race was, especially for the battling for the lower positions um, towards the end of the sprint race. You had teams that were 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th. So you're not going to get points if it's still only for the top eight, actually still battling each other. Um, I had been really worried before the weekends that anyone who was outside of the top 10 in the sprint qualifying would have gone well, we're in Baku, there is no point risking my car, there is no point risking damage, and there is no point wasting potential tyres or fuel or money. Every every time that F1 car goes, is money um, out on circuit for a team. And I, I did worry that they just might not run competitively and they might just trundle around. And I, because there was nothing on offer for them, if you're in the bottom half of the field in that instance, other than the potentially wrecked car. And it was really nice to see that. So... Um, yeah, we'll get onto it later, but I had thought before this weekend that a, a total restructuring of the points regarding sprint races would have been required to make that this format work, but it actually didn't. And I was really impressed by the drivers and the teams for actually all putting their all into that sprint race. I will quickly interject. I think that you would usually see that on a more traditional track rather than the street circuit. These teams at the back probably being more conservative, but with it being Baku, Anything really can happen there. You could have someone looking fine, put it in the wall, and all of a sudden you've got a red flag, five lap shootout, and because you've been fighting in the midfield, you're not starting that restart in 15th. You're starting it in 12th. That's three less places for you to make up in the restart, and you now have got a shot at points. And that's why I think they went for it this weekend. Yeah, but I also think the reason that they've been attacking it more, and they are like obviously you know risking it a bit more is I think they've kind of realized that these are here to stay it's not just a oh it's an FIA idea it might work it might not work I think they kind of know they are set on making this format or this particular idea work and with this week's format was a lot better like I was actually looking forward to it when I don't know I lie took mine a little bit of time to uh go through the text and understand exactly what was happening. Once I figured it all out, 
I was actually thinking, you know, this is actually going to be quite good. I'm quite excited for for this format with the with the one tire per session, and you got to change and like all that sort of stuff. I was I was actually intrigued to to watch it. Well, I think it brings diversity to a Formula One weekend, and I mean, we all love a bit of diversity. And when it comes to 3D printed track wall art, no one gives you more diversity in your choices, your colours, or anything like that than our sponsors of the podcast, Apex Tracks. For all your 3D printed track wall art needs, head to apextracks.com. That's A P E X T R A X S dot com. I think that might be my smoothest transition yet. Yeah, I love that. I love that transition. That was good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, Reese. I'm just uh, happy that we didn't have to do several takes on you spelling Apex Tracks. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm missing Chris here. So, uh, Tim, can you give us the Apex Tracks jingle, please? I couldn't tell you what. I don't listen to Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Chris though, because Chris is gonna, um, Chris is gonna hear this in a couple of days, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um, shout out to Chris, who's recovering uh, in hospital currently. But m- m- much love, Chris. Yeah, get well soon, buddy. Get well soon, Chris. We we hope to have you back soon, mate. Yeah, and um, we hope you enjoy at least F1 now back. So in your recovery, you can watch five F1 races in seven weeks, <laughs> which is good. And also, good news: the American will be rejoining us soon. He's found another chef to help him do less work. <laughs> That's the American dream. Find a way to do less work. Uh, Shall we talk about the good news for um, Azerbaijan as a Grand Prix? Let's talk about the good news for Azerbaijan as a Grand Prix. I thought you were just going to continue talking about the contract extension. Uh, You know more about it than I do, Tim, so I'd rather you read this bit in. Yes, so um, as as I was just saying, good news for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. uh, A three-year contract extension, which was announced over this weekend, which means that despite the congested... Uh, season, the extra tracks wanting to come in, new races popping up everywhere. We will be going to Azerbaijan until 2026, um, which is great news for them, great news for lovers of the Azerbaijan circuit. There are many of them out there. Um, However, not a great finish to the race today for the track organisers, for the circuit organisers, for the people running that pit lane in the FIA. Esteban Ocon, uh, what do we think of that situation well, this is the thing. It's happened recently. Australia has been given a great big whopping extension. We have people on the track. Now we're dealing with Azerbaijan. They've been given another three-year extension, which is a, a quite a lengthy extension for a street circuit. It's it's logistically a bit more tricky to do a street race. But when you have the level of organisation we saw this weekend, in particular with the Espen Ocon incident at the end of the race, now there might be some of you listening who didn't actually see the race and were are listening to us just to catch up on what the main talking points were. At the end of the race, um, Espen Ocon, Nico Hulkenberg and George Russell all pitted towards the end. George Russell to try and steal the fastest lap. Nico Hulkenberg and Esteban Ocon because they'd run the hard tyre the entire race and had to pit and make their magic pit stop. Nico Hulkenberg was a lap down, so he had to pit one lap earlier to make that pit stop. Esteban Ocon, however, was on the lead lap, so could pit just before the final lap, longing out, hoping for a red flag or a safety car or something to keep his track position. And 
what usually happens is when it's clear that everyone has made their final pit stop and there shouldn't be any more, you know, pits, well, any more pit stops coming or any more cars entering the pit lane, they start to set up Park Ferme. However, the final pit stops had not happened. They were in the middle of setting up Park Ferme. All the photographers were getting ready and standing in the middle of the pit lane, in the middle of the fast lane in the pit lane. And Esteban Ocon then came into the pits. What followed <laughs> could have been disastrous. And there's, there's no way, you know, putting that. It, it could have been a catastrophe on a on a circuit. Formula One cars, while we're going to look at, they're travelling slow in a pit lane. They are still travelling upwards of 50 kilometres an hour. Sorry, upwards of 50 miles an hour. It's just, yeah, we were very lucky again today. We've had this, we spoke about this last podcast, fans of the track, and yeah, it's happening too frequently now. I don't think until that checkered flag has waved and everybody has gone past that, you know, past the finish line and are on their cool down laps, should anybody be in that pit lane, FIA, media, anybody unless you are in the race team and you are in the pit crew or you're on that pit wall, you shouldn't be there. Esteban Ocon is a nicer person than me because I want to fucking slow down. Facts. We're not, we're not suggesting that if you see someone in a road that you drive at them, as Dana said. Yeah, um, right. But I'm not this suggesting... Is, this, is what separates, not this is what separates normal people from psychopaths, Dan. We see which side you're sitting in. There's, a, there's people in the road... And you're driving along, and you're thinking, oh, I'll better stop. But you're in the back of your mind, and you're also going, I could be famous for life here. It, it I could keep driving on the news. It's the biggest catastrophe that Exeter has ever seen. And it's not, it's it, right. It's not a road. It's a pit lane. It's a race course. It's dangerous. You've got cars going 200 fine, miles an fine. hour. Fine, The biggest catastrophe Exeter Go, Go Karting Centre has ever seen because Dan didn't want to stop for whoever no, was do, on the track. I, 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 in defence, defence, I do see his point in that he, Esteban Ocon is there to race and get that pit stop completed as quickly as possible, regardless of the fact that he is going to be out of the points or not. He is, his aim is to get one more lap completed and it's not his fault or his responsibility to make sure that the track is clear and his, his sole job is to get there as quickly as possible. A hundred percent that's him. Like yeah. if you're, if you're going through the pit lane, you shouldn't have to slow down, watch, swerve, do do anything when you're in that pit lane. And as you brought up go-kart in an Exeter, shout out to race world indoor car in Exeter. They have ruined my back many a times with their go-karts. Um, and, <laughs> And please also and, and sponsor so, us. So, uh, my promote one of my promoters and uh, good friends actually actually sponsors a go kart go kart. There, he's got the livery and everything. He he thinks he's big time. He's balling. Shout out to Boise as well. He absolutely. You have it. a mate called Boise. Boise. Wait, <laughs> mate. You 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 can take your. Only fools and horses. Only fours and horses, Joe, because you're Taylor Swift puns, and you could just we just do a, you a separate podcast. But no, right. So back back to my point, right? He should not have to slow down, stop, or swerve when he's in that pit lane, and there is still laps to go on that race. 
that's it. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, Dan. No one should have to take avoid action in the pit lane. That's why we have a penalty for unsafe releases or for releasing cars in unsafe conditions, because it should be a case of simple in-out, minimal risk. You know, sometimes, there is risk as the front jack, man, because of what's going that because of what's going on. Um, and to your other comment, Dan, I know you don't like my Taylor Swift puns, but you have to deal with them because there's nothing I do better than revenge. Is, is that another Taylor Swift song? That's another Taylor Swift Is it? Okay. The boy um, is on fire. <laughs> but, but also, how did the FIA, um, how do they penalise themselves? How do they find themselves? <laughs> like, I, I don't understand it. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. How I mean, uh, if, you haven't, if you haven't read this document, then the FIA summoned FIA stewards to a meeting of the FIA stewards. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's how can you be investigating yourself? This is what I mean. How can you give races with this organization extensions? You know, I love racing in Baku, but. Oh, man, how could you? Oh, we're going to have to investigate ourselves after this and figure out how this happened. The only thing is, I wish they were this quick to admit that in the past, because I reckon if we didn't have Abu Dhabi 2021, they'd be going, well, we don't know what happened there, but we'll do an inquest into it in six months time. They are going to yeah. be on some Jedi shit. Nothing These are not happened. the stewards you're looking for. Yeah, see, yeah. I, I have a feeling that there will definitely be more measures in place once we get to Miami. I know it's only a week away. There will be a, there will be what Dan said, there will be a you cannot enter the pit lane until the last active car has crossed the checkered flag. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I feel like we, we give the FAA shit, but I feel like they will, I, I hope, I would hope against all hope that they act quickly on this one. I mean, how hard can it be for a organisation that sends a thousand people around the world to set up a few barriers in the space of three minutes and more to the point i get what you're saying but one problem this does before i uh, or does show to me if you can't allow people into the pit lane until the last active car has crossed the finish line what do you do at spa when they go finish turn around you turn into the pits then your photographers have to wait and they have to like the photographers just have to wait you, you can't, you can't have... It's the part for my setup I'm talking about. I don't care about the photographers. That's well, when I care about the photographers, but I don't. The photographers that, that were nearly hit, it was the, the park Ferme barriers were where the FAA would have a way bridge under normal circumstances. They were where the FAA have people, sometimes it's where the safety car is parked. It wasn't, it wasn't the barrier out of the main section of the pit lane that was the issue. For me, it was the people. People are always the issue for you, Tim. No, but yeah, why are you at me, you. man? That was weird. Uh, I think, yeah, I that was weird. <laughs> but legit, I right? with you. It's it's that last photographer or media guy that literally has no idea that a bloody car is coming and has to literally jump out of the way to to not end up on the front of Esteban's bonnet or wing or front wing, yeah. Like you know. Because let's, let, let's be real, that's going to fucking hurt, isn't it? But it really is. Well, you see the damage it's done to Marshalls, or not to Marshalls, to pit crews in the past when they've been 
hit by something or run over by saying at the end of a pit stop or or going into the pits and the cars are slowing down. But the worst thing about the Esteban Ocon footage is that every time you watch it back, you see another person who was extremely lucky. You look at the first one, you think all the guys that were on Esteban's left, they're all diving out of the way. Do you watch it back like four or five times later? You start seeing the people on the right. There was one guy right at the start on the right hand side. So, so fortunate. Um, and I think, yeah, like you say, we've got to just inform them what they've got to say until the check, until the race is finished. And that first, I think once the, once the first car is finished, no one else is going to pull into the pits. So once that's happened, start setting yourself up. Yeah, that's fair enough. But, oh, man, it's just, it shouldn't be happening. Okay, but enough moaning, I, because I'm sure I, we're going to... Can I, no, I'm about, I've got one more moan. Sorry, unrelated to the Ocon incident, but... <laughs> okay, um, so I would also like to discuss one other topic. Um, I'm not going to go too deeply into it, because I know that it's going to be controversial. I don't want to leave any of us liable, and everyone will have their own opinion on this. Um, so Azerbaijan, as we know, has been given a three-year contract extension, and I have to address an elephant in the room, which is a hypocrisy from the FIA in where it is awarding its races to and where it is saying it is happy for F1 to go. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, Azerbaijan um, in 2020 um, invaded a region of the neighbouring country, Armenia. Um, it resulted in several deaths. It wasn't reported on too much in the Western world. Um, they're currently under a ceasefire, which has been going on for just over two years now. But there are still occasional flare-ups. There are guerrilla groups. There are political pressures. Um, Azerbaijan, if you if you look at most of the media sources and read, try to read a variety of sources, are the aggressor in this situation. Um, obviously, we cancelled the contract with Russia due to a due to Russia being the aggressor in a war with a with a neighbouring country. Um, I'll be honest, I have a personal bias towards, not bias, but a personal thought process towards Armenia as it's a country I visited last year. The people were amazing. The place itself was just incredible. And it hasn't sat right with me that we go to Saudi Arabia and people are straight up to um, say, should we be going there? Should we be, should we be doing this? Should we be racing here? Should we be supporting these regimes, these leaders, these political parties. And as Lewis Hamilton, and we've, we've missed, missed him out of the season now, Sebastian Vettel has said on multiple occasions, they, F1 should be a force for equality and good and keeping peace and having people being able to live their lives. And it, it hasn't been mentioned, I don't think, in any of the media across the weekend that we have, again, awarded a longer term race contract especially for a city race to a country that is still officially at war with another with another country and it, i will not go into it if you want to research it there are some amazing videos there are some amazing websites out there to go on to to have a look at it but just when you're watching these races just bear in mind that there are people that the people there are uh, ethnicities and people who these races are funded by that are not the nicest people in the world uh, Tim I think you answered your own question really um, 
there with why we're going there is because it hasn't been reported enough in the Western media, um, which is not right in any sense. Because, say, the fact that Azerbaijan, like, I know all about this as well, because you've told me at length from your, from your travels to Armenia, you know, and you've become very clued up on this whole situation. You read all the advice before going out there. Um, the fact that no one at Liberty Media or FOM thought to address this issue really shows that there is a narrow mindedness within the organization of how venues and races and calendars and everything are planned, um, which is a shame. That's exactly it. Like, obviously, I only uh, found out about this when Tim brought it up earlier in the day. I was completely unaware that there was uh, like these issues going on out there. And I'm I'm in the same mind of like, surely what's good for one is good for all is it not um but again like tim you know i'm not politically clued up i'm not getting into to all of it but i'm going to do a little bit of research myself again on the liberty media side of it you only have to address something if it's public knowledge if it isn't public knowledge you could put your head in the sand and claim that you you know you weren't fully aware of the incidents and the stuff transpiring over there to some degree they are playing on people's uh stupidity surely it's playing on ignorance I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it stupidity i would say that they're using people's lack of knowledge yeah. for their own gain yeah. and their own benefits it, it's it is not it's stupidity. stupidity it was a, it's manipulation yeah. of ignorance is what it is yeah um to be fair i think like what we said i think ignorance like playing on people's ignorance is probably a better term than their, their stupidity. To be fair, that's that's what that's what I meant. Like you know, that you know, playing on their lack of knowledge on the situation. Um, I will I will say this. Um, if you do your own research into it, if you have a different opinion to myself on the on the conflict way that war was has played out, the the political build up that has gone into it, the political state of it of the situation now, then. I'm not telling you to totally go out there and be anti-everything Azerbaijani, but just it's just something that I wish I wish the FOM and I, I just wish someone in Formula One would would have mentioned it at the point that this contract extension because Azerbaijan had the contract to 2023 before any of the any of this really kicked off or really happened and it's it's just a uh, yeah, it's the renewal of the contracts without any acknowledgement from anyone in the paddock as well as anyone at FOM. The media, it's you yeah. look at it, you, you think Sky and BBC are the main sort of reporting agencies of Formula One in the UK. They're also worldwide news channels. You can go abroad and I'm pretty sure in any country you can get feed for Sky News and you get feed for BBC News. So the fact that neither of those have touched upon this from what I've seen, they may have done, I might be wrong, but from what I've seen, I've not seen it touched upon. Um, so, yeah, it's frustrating in that sense. Shall we move on to your revamped point system suggestion, Tim? But I feel that like we should wrap this up with that. Yeah, we yeah we can do. Um, so this is going to sound radical. I am going to get hate from traditionalists who go, oh, no, F1 points are really special and they should only be constitute only only should only be accounted for for like the 
system we have now or the system we have now is already too much for a point reward. I'm of the firm belief that if F1 wants to introduce sprint races as a regular as a regular thing, that you have to offer more points across an F1 weekend. Um, if you look at other series, they um, so the best example I've got is the MotoGP series. They've increased the amount of their points that they're offering for their Grand Prix to accommodate for more points being given to sprint races. And I think it's a really, really um, good idea. I think it modernises F1. I think it modernises the point system. Um, I think there are ways of doing it where a, a Grand Prix point and finishing top 10 in a Grand Prix can still be more of a recognisable achievement than scoring points in a sprint races, but still offering more points for the whole season. Um, I've Fine. had several plays of it and I've got a point system that just just as a soft proposal, I'm not saying F1 should definitely do this system. I just I just think that something along these lines would be a really good system. Far away, Tim. Okay. Um so if we were to be running with the two qualifying two races system across a sprint weekend. And I, I, this would be changing the Grand Prix point system for a for all Grand Prix to accommodate for this as well. Of course. The proposal would be that, as I was saying earlier, you've got at the moment, if you're in the bottom half of a field or for a sprint race, you uh, you have got nothing to race for. You can't improve your position for the next day. If you're starting 16th, 17th, 18th, you're not going to get points in a 17 lap race unless something absolutely crazy happens and you can say that you want to be racing well for your sponsors you can say for your own competitive attitude but i think there should be reward for racing in a sprint race so the proposal would be that on a sprint race every position for finishing gets points and you have a point system that just runs from 20 to 1 so 20 for first 19 for second 18 for third 17 for fourth and it goes all the way down in 18th, 19th, 20th, get three points, two points, one points. If you go out, it's done on your last classified lap completed. Um, or if you go out in a multi-car accident, it can be done at the end of the last completed lap before that. So you're happens. offering points to non-finishers here? It would be, yes. Um, and the reason for that would be that if you were to finish eighth or ninth in a Grand Prix weekend on a, on, a, on a full Grand Prix, but you didn't finish. If you were the ninth last car to go out, for example, then you would still be awarded your points. Um, this would come with an increase to the Formula One um, Grand Prix points awarded. Now, I don't think that you should be given points for finishing 20th in a Grand Prix. I, I think the Grand Prix, having a Grand Prix point should still be rated as higher or substantially more more valuable in terms of your recognition of the racer than finishing 20th in a sprint race. So the proposed format I had is you've got 20 points for a sprint race win. Um, so I toyed around with a lot of the percentages and I, I settled on 50 points for a race win, 40 for second, 30 for um, third, then 25 for fourth, 20th for fifth and then 16, eight, uh, four, two and one, which was what I was playing around with what, what to give the lower points. I haven't really divided. 
And I, I think that it's it's a modernization of the point system. You will get traditionalists who say no, an F1 point is more valuable or it should, should be something that you have to work harder for. But I think the prestige of an F1 point in a Grand Prix is what's important here. I, I, I like it, but my drawback and objection to it is that you get more points of finishing sec uh, you get more points of finishing third to last in a sprint race than you do for finishing tenth in a Grand Prix. My I also had a thought in the point system, and if I don't mind just floating my own idea quickly. Absolutely um, fire away. It's identical to yours in the sense of the sprint race, every position gets a point unless you don't finish. If you don't finish, there are no points for you. And it's the tran- this translates to the Grand Prix racing. Counting up, it's for the Grand Prix, it's the same sort of thing. So 20th is two points, four points for 19th, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20. So that so takes us up to 10? Takes us up to... 11. Up to 11. Yeah, 11. yeah, so 20 yeah. points for 11. Which 20 points for 11. Yeah. Which then I go up to 25 for your top 10. Then I go up, you know, 27, 29. I have to count my hand here again. So, yeah, 25, 27, 29, 31, 33. Then you've got your top five. 35, 40, 45. 50, 60 for the win. That's my thought. Um, right. So, Tim, just to deal with your concept first, uh, you're still saying that only the top 10 drivers would get points, correct? I am, yes. And my justification for this is that, so, for example, in my concept of racing, today, Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries would have both scored points their first Formula One points for not finishing and finishing very low down in the sprint race. I think that the prestige of getting points in a Grand Prix should be worth more within the F1 community, within F1 recognition, than just being handed a point on a plate if you were to have points down to 20th. And that's where my issue comes with it i think that a grand grand prix point should be higher valued than a sprint point and maybe that does mean that i have to think about starting my grand prix points from a higher position than what i've proposed but as i've said i've toyed around with both higher and lower point scores um if you do that if you start off with 10th place in the grand prix getting 25 points as reese said then you're going to end up with the race winner getting a much higher potentially the race winner getting a much much higher proportion of points and that's where it becomes a bit difficult to work out but you're but you're basically doing the same thing you're just awarding higher points for the for the obviously the obviously the further you get to first second and third you're doing exactly the same format it's only it's only top 10 people get points it's as whereas instead of finishing on 300 points Verstappen could finish on 900 points so it's it's the same like I I understand that I get the I, I like the sprint what you're doing there is you're effectively making every single person that's racing that car you know racing their car in that race try to get at least one more space for more points 
But the, 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 the Sunday one, I think, is the same, but you're just giving them more points. Uh, my issue, like I said, with Tim's was that the fact that the top 10 only get points in Grand Prix racing. I get that Grand Prix points should have prestige, but I think you have to start the threshold a lot higher if you're going to do that because you can't be finishing third last in a sprint race or not even finishing in a sprint race and getting more points than you would get in a, from a Grand Prix. Okay, that, so it might, be, it might be that with my system that if I revise the point system, it might be that if you finish 10th in a Grand Prix, then you start off on 15 or 20 points if I was to increase that threshold. Um which, which would be more in line with your idea, but just not offering points to the lower half of the Grand Prix finishes. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn in the sense of what my idea was. But I mean, the fact that you go, I, the whole premise of the, or the baseline of it was that a sprint race is a further of a length of a race than a Grand Prix. So the point was 20 points for the sprint race. And then you've got, 60 points for the main race so you get three times as many points for winning that race going down of course in your increments i want to make the main grand prix win the main highlight so going 60 for first 50 for second then going down you know five you know you're counting down in fives till you get to your top six top six then i'm still getting more points than Sorry, six to ten still getting more points than those who wouldn't finish in the top ten. So there's still an incremental increase for how well you're doing in the race, but at the same time, no one's getting more points for finishing shitly in a uh, <laughs> in a sprint race than they are finishing just outside or just inside the points for a Grand Prix. That was the main thing to me. Um, it's a tricky system. I can see why they have lots of heads probably scratching at this already, probably in the background of Formula One. Yeah, I obviously you read re- going over that. I understand that like, the three times as much point system like for the top one, like that I get. But I'm I'm sorry, only top ten should get points because it's not a fucking participation sport where everyone gets a fucking trophy because they're special and they've done well. It's you either get to the top and get some points or you don't what like if well, you're giving everyone a point but like you know you, you're not going to I'm not giving non finishers sorry more. I'm not giving non finishers points I just want to no, make that clear no but if 20 people finish the race you get a participation point for the bottom for showing up and being a a good guy like you know you're not giving them an incentive to to try and push cuz they're like ah fuck it we're in 16th we'll get three points just keep going around, boys. Let's just knock some points out. So instead of drivers getting zero points, they'd get uh, 40 points. Well, this is this is the whole point of what Tim and I are trying to try and do here. Is the fact is that when you're in those lower positions, you might as well lap it to the end when you've already got points on the board that seat. Like in the current system, every team has got points on the board. So if you're 16th, you might as well just lap it to the end for the last 10 laps in 16th. You're not going to pick anything more up. You might as well be conservative, not risk your cost cap, not risk your budgets, not risk anything like that, and just lap it to the end. But if every single point is worth something or every single position is worth points, you're going to have to, you know, keep on it. There's a benefit for overtaking some for 17th place at the end of the race at the end of the race because you look at you go back three years 
you had well, sorry more than three years you had like the likes of Manor at the back with Williams and they were they were bottom feeder teams but for one of them getting one point over the course of the season was enough to decide it in terms of who would finish above who in the championship which I never felt was quite fair because you could have Manor getting one point in the entire season whilst Williams finished above them in every other race it doesn't quite sit right with me so I feel like this reward long-term performance over the season more same with Tim's thing and if he adjusts those Grand Prix points I get that and I like the fact that maybe after so many places your Grand Prix points are so heavily weighted that they are more worth it but I think you've got to almost set your system at being sprint race you get these number of points and then maybe Tim 10th place is the same as finishing I don't know maybe 12th in the sprint race so at least you're you're weighting it somewhat yeah I, I would I would I would agree with those proposed amendments from yourself which is why you put these out there because if we're talking about it and we're three blokes from England on Skype then you would hope and you'd think that from from a long-term future perspective of the sprint races, if the FIA want these to be a part of the future of the sport, then I think you have to consider revamping the points format and revamping the point system to, to accommodate for sprint races. If you're saying we are going to have sprint races, then you need to make the changes around the rest of the sport to accommodate that. And yeah, um, I do have a problem with your concept, Reese, of if you're the last finisher and you finish in 15th or 16th in a Grand Prix, you would still get points in your system. And I do think that a Grand Prix point should be rewarded for finishing in at least the top half of a field in a Grand Prix. And even if those points did start at 18 or 20 or 25, then then that is the reward for finishing in your top 10. Even if they are better than better weighted towards the uh, like over the sprint race. Fair enough. I, I think I think we've got some bits to work on, Tim and I. Right, Dan, so wait, I'm expecting wait, to hear wait, yours. Mate, right. <laughs> mate, I don't have the time. In the next race. <laughs> complex, uh, this much of a complexity towards points. But I, but I would say, right, so in Reese's one then, Reese, you're basically saying there are no small parts. You're going to force people to try and get an extra point. And, you know, if you are in 16th, you may not, you know, because we've, you know, We've seen Lewis retire, God knows how many times, because the tyres are shit or, you know, similar scenarios. Do you think that your point... You're not going to back out at the end, pretty much. You're not going to whimper out. You're not going to retire the car for the retirement car, say, say at the miles. You're you're not going to Guan Yu Zhou today. So you're (laughs) saying you would see less retirements because of a penalty, like that that, there'd be a harsher penalty because... yeah. In the current format, if you're out the top 10, you're not winning shit anyway. So with your system, you would be forced to stay in the race instead of bottling it and saving the car. Yeah, pretty much. That's okay. that's one of my yeah. biggest frustrations. Because as a fan, you go to a racetrack, you're spending... I mean, we spent a lot of money years ago, two months ago. You're spending a heck of a lot more money now to go. You don't want to see, oh, Lewis Hamilton's having a bad weekend. He's stuck in 13th at the moment because um, he's had a couple of issues, he had a puncture on lap one, he's not getting any further, he's got some floor damage. It, yeah, he could probably catch the few cars in front of him, but is he going to, you know, he might get a point, is it worth that one point? No, let's retire the car, Lewis. Or, Lewis has a puncture, and 
well, he's out there anyway, so he might as well fight back and try and get the most from it. What, to you as a spectator in the sport, going to a race, appeals to you most? Yeah, I can get on board with that. But my, my only problem with that would be, potentially, with the three times as many points at the other end, would these points effectively make a difference in the long run anyway? If you're getting two points, three points versus 60, you know? Yes, because there will always be times where you might tangle. Like you look at when in Mexico, uh, I think it was 2018, when Seven Lewis were going battling for the title. And they tangled on lap one. They both had to fight through the field from a long way back. And maybe scoring a few points for one of them might have kept the title belt alive a little bit longer. Uh, that's where I feel yeah, like it makes a difference. Yeah. And it always adds up. And you might go, oh, we're having like you, you look at Baku last year. Oh, sorry, 2021. Lewis's break magic mishap. He still would have picked up a few points on Verstappen. Now, go. you think if you consider everything else, the amount of double DNFs they had throughout everything else, there wasn't another time where they both didn't finish the race or or, or there was a there wasn't time where one DNF'd and the other finished outside the points. If you had that going in, so you would think, you know, they're going to go into the, right, the end of the season, same points, except for in this format, Lewis might have two more points going into the end of the season. All of a sudden, Verstappen has to win. But, this your, but, 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 in, but in, in your points concept, it doesn't because of the increased weighting. Of no, points. the increased weight of the points is still there, but it means that they're going with three points. They're, they're stuck with three points. Say Hamilton Verstappen tangled in Abu Dhabi. Hamilton's out the race. Verstappen's going, oh, my car's completely broken. It's completely beat up. But can I bring this home to the finish? Can I get four points I need to win the title? Can I finish 16th? Can I drag this car to the end rather than both of them going title's done lap one over imagine that concept there's that bit of extra drama that's what i'm always thinking that we're not trying to invent something artificial everything still has the same meaning but you're just adding that little bit of extra weight to everything and i think that's just maybe what this point system needs if you're going to introduce more sprint races okay so on that on that concept right of the initial points as they are now if he's <coughs> finishing first he gets 25 points yeah yeah and lewis finishes outside of the top 10 he gets zero currently yeah in the new format if, if he was to finish in first max he gets 60 say and if lewis yeah. was to finish in 13th he gets three points so well, no, he doesn't get. He, if Lewis was to finish 13th in mine, he would get 16 points. So yeah, there's a greater difference. There's, yeah, for, I, I still think there's going to be such a drastic difference in in points. You know, in, in it's not in the so current much, format. There's going to be a 25 point difference. In the new format, there's going to be a 40 something point difference. Yes, but not so much. This, this format I've got isn't so much about the top. Okay, yeah, it's adding that extra dynamic at the end of the race in the bizarre situation that one has to limp home, one's already out the race. 
it's more about making those points at the bottom worth saying and rewarding a team that's at the bottom for being consistently better than someone across the entire season rather than someone maybe lucking into a point. Like you look at at the moment, Alfa Romeo, that's the worst car on the grid. They're not last in the standings because they lucked into some good points. How is it fair for a team that's better than them the entire year to receive less prize money because of one lucky result? But 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 Alpha but Alpha Alpha Romeo would argue that back that they were there to take advantage of that race where everyone messed up because they would argue that yes we weren't the fastest car in that race but in that one weekend we got our cars to the finish line in a race where other teams might have got their strategy wrong where other teams might have crashed into each other where other teams might have made strategic or driving errors or or race in in race errors that they didn't make and that's 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 rewarding Alfa Romeo's strategy where you're saying that it's all based on the car weight. Well, it's not so it's that was nothing about them finishing that race was based on strategy. That was based on them being at the back, being at the back, being at the back whilst they in front of them crashed. In that situation, they would still get more points. They would still yeah. get these more weighted points, but it gives the team at the bottom a chance to claw back to be oh, well, I know we're 18th and 19th. And in the old system, I might as well say 18th and 19th. But no, it matters to me now to try and get that place on the last lap. That get bit, Inject that bit of extra pride. It's the trade-off you want versus rewarding a good finish in a Grand Prix or just giving everyone who finishes a Grand Prix points. I, I, I think, and this is where I'm going to go with the traditionalists, the the way the way that scoring points in a Grand Prix should be something special. It some should be something that is isn't just given out for just for just being there and just finishing it. It's got to be it's got to be meaning a Grand Prix point in my system is more much more meaningful than any point in a sprint race. And I, I do I do agree that maybe even if I had your top ten in points where in your one twenty tenth got twenty five points with that, which is more than a sprint yes. race win. That might that might even be a I might I might just nick your top ten points scoring and put it into my <laughs> system. <laughs> Again, I I think it comes back to like you know what what you said, Tim. Like you know they shouldn't just be rewarded. It comes back to the point of you know participation points effectively. But on what Reese said, then I actually think it might be a good idea to give them participation points because it would make the end of the season and sorting everything out maybe a little bit easier because there wouldn't be zero point zero point zero point zero point you wouldn't have to go on statistics to 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 to, to, to do something you would have a much clearer outline of that but i have i have come up with a point system has anyone seen Back uh, the game show on TV, uh, zero to a hundred or something. Is it? Is that what it's called? Pointless. Pointless. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> My I gosh, are you taking your <laughs> TV? <laughs> are you taking your point system from e- yeah. from from daytime television? <laughs> right, listen, right. It's the same. Tw- Twenty points for twentieth, all the way up to like to one, and then whoever has the least amount of points at the end of the year wins. So what you're saying is it's golf for Formula One cars. 
Yes, and then all these drivers that crash into a wall in 20th can feel really special because they got fucking 20 points. There you go. Everyone's happy. Give them 100 points. Oh. It's a wrong no, answer. Please. You've crashed 100 points. Okay. Like, we're not going to agree on this. Any, I feel any, like we... D, any DNF, for whatever reason, is an automatic 100 points. <laughs> and, 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 and they have to wear a Mexican hat in the paddock the next time, <laughs> the next time they're there. Or a cowboy hat. Um... Just a little dunce cap, I think it's the one you need. But we're never um, going to agree on these point systems, at least not tonight. So I feel like I feel like we need to wrap this up before Dan starts saying that um, Max Verstappen has to have a five lap disadvantage, but a much faster car with lighter fuel. And if he can catch uh, Esteban Ockham before Esteban Ockham can answer so many questions in a time period, <laughs> that maybe, maybe he can win the race. Um, Do you remember the go karting race? Uh, um, when, when the celebrity would start a lap ahead of the, of, of the oh, F1 Monty, driver. Yes. Louis Saha getting crashed by David Coulthard on the final corner. Yes, I remember <laughs> that, yeah. But like, so we are never going to... Um, we're never going to agree, but I we're think we'll agree, agree on this that tonight. a revamp is needed. is needed if sprint races are going to be in F1 permanently. Agreed. I, I completely agree. Um, and with that, I think we'll wrap it up. So, until next time, thank you very much for listening. We hope you have had your blank space filled by this podcast. Um, if you like what you've heard, check out our social medias. Uh, there's a link in the bio of this podcast to our Facebook, Facebook group, Facebook chat, Discord, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you might have seen there was going to be a competition this week. It's not been forgotten about. Um, it's just been a case of very busy there will be something announced uh keep an eye out on the bank holiday for saying on that um and until then thank you very much for listening cheerio guys oh and one last thing if you're fernando alonso and you're asked about this taylor swift questions we understand that you don't want to comment but in real life it's a love story baby just say yes (laughs) (laughs) cheerio guys see you later guys Bye.